Welcome to Packet Pushes, a continuously improving, always-on delivery platform for data networking professionals. A steady stream of high-speed information, challenging ideas, and a goggle-wearing look into the future of networking, because the wind, as we go forward, will make your eyes water. We don't have a map, but we will know what the future looks like when we see it because our post-change validation processes will have been continuously testing where we have been and where we're going. If software-defined networking is about automation and orchestration to configure our networks, then the unasked and certainly unanswered question is, how do we test it? More, how do we automate the testing so that we don't have to do it? A couple of weeks back, Matt Oswalt announced his testing on-demand distributed application and then punched it out on GitHub with an open Apache 2.0 license. I'll I'll just quote this piece from his his, uh, documentation. He says, in networking, how do we define the success of change? And the only way to do that is to put our network through the same paces that the real world does and then get some real information, some detailed information back on how that test was performed. Well, quite frankly, that to me is a hugely exciting thing. We've seen lots of focus on SDN to configure stuff, but what we haven't done is the real thing is once the configuration is done, does it work? So today we have Matt Oswalt joining us. Matt, please tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Thanks for the intro and thank you for the nice words. Yes, I am Matt Oswalt. Uh, I've been in the industry for several years now. I don't know, maybe five or seven since I graduated. And uh, Basically, been focusing on a few things. One of which, oh, obviously, networking. That's been a big passion of mine. But uh, my background actually is in software development initially. So this is sort of just me, sort of combining the two skill sets. And you've been focusing on software development for some time. So your job has moved away from traditional networking or legacy networking, if you like. You know, banging away at the CLI. And to these days, you spend most of your time wrapped inside of an integrated development environment, writing code. Yeah, that's exactly right. Although I would I would tweak that to say that I'm a proud user of uh, both Sublime Text and Vim. So I, a full blown IDE might might be a little too bloated <laughs> for my taste. <laughs> I don't know. Sublime Text feels like an IDE on some days to me. It's, I agree. I, it's I think the, I think it's a. It's it's less of a text editor and much more of an integrated development environment as far as I'm concerned. Well, we've come a long way from Notepad. Also with us today is Chris Young. Chris, please say hi. Hi. <laughs> Tell the audience <laughs> a little about yourself. Oh, it was implied, but, you know, it's a Canadian thing. You know, we get that. So, yeah, my name's Chris Young. I am uh, work for Hewlett Packard Enterprise as a technical marketing engineer, but I do not represent them in any way, shape, or form, especially not on this call. And in general, I'm uh, also one of those people that are really – really kind of trying to live at that intersection between code and networking and trying to fix some of the bad habits we've developed over the last 10 years. So uh, I I'm, I'm actually feel really honored that I got a preview of Todd a couple weeks beforehand. Really happy that this is happening, like incredibly happy. All right, let's kick off the discussion with Matt. Tell us a little bit about what's the background here? What is, what is test-driven network automation really about from your point of view? Yeah, thanks. I think this is actually a really important thing to focus on because, you know, I'm 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 happy to finally have Todd out in the in the, in the public and and be able to talk about the details there, but I I definitely want people to focus less on the specific tooling and more on what we're trying to accomplish here. Todd focusing on really just one part of it. And that is what do we do as you as you alluded in, in the beginning of of the podcast like what are what are what are we actually trying to do here are we really just trying to push config to a bunch of switches um, i would argue that it's a much more complicated answer than that especially if you really want to have success at scale making changes to your network in an automated way so what we're really focusing on here is this idea of applying the same principles and processes that software developers have used uh, in in methodologies like continuous integration 
Uh, but we're applying those same principles in a, in a different way in, in networking, right? We're not always talking about source code, although I'm, I certainly am an advocate for that, right? I'm a, I'm a developer now, so a lot of my work is with actual software code. But those same principles can also be applied to just simple network configs. And we can also write tests in, in, uh, in, in a way that, that makes sure when we make changes to our network, we're also validating that those changes were really, truly successful. Hmm. I think I started talking about this part of it. Not only do we need configuration, but testing two or three years ago. So I'm quite excited about this. But basically what you're saying is it's not enough to configure the network. You have to validate that it's been configured correctly. You might push a change into your network using an automation tool. Our vendors or the open source project might not actually do what you think it does, right? Right, and I, I mean, there's there's always that there's always that worry that you know what if what if the actual change didn't go according to plan? Maybe there's a bug. Maybe I didn't write the uh, write the script or write the 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 YAML file. Whatever it is, there's always that worry. But I think maybe taking a step back and just looking at the same again, you know, nothing. I don't the the RFC that you love to quote, Greg, uh, mm. RFC 1925. I can't remember <laughs> the rule, but basically, nothing nothing is new under the sun, right? Exactly. Um, so, yeah. We, we've been dealing with this for some time in software development, and this is a, this is I don't know if it's a solved problem per se, but we definitely have a lot of insight into this problem of making sure that we can test uh, the changes that we make just to avoid any of those potential issues, if at all possible. Now, of course, no no test is perfect. We still have to write the tests, but this is just a way for us to define, in essence, what our use case is. How are we going to use our software? And, yeah. and in this case, it would be use our network. So, so, so one thing I, I think that we need to, to deal with first is talk about maybe Matt, you can talk about this as as a from a comp side background, what kind of different tests are there? Because I think we've done a admirable job of trying to do like unit tests and trying to do syntax testing, but that's not really what Todd is. So maybe maybe we should deal with what kind of tests are available. We've done, I think, a pretty good job of, of some of this stuff, especially with respect to making sure that our, you know, we, we, we've been using technologies like Jinja 2 as a templating language, and, and there's a few other things to make our network configurations more consistent. Like, that's definitely something I think we've gotten a lot of attention uh, on, and I know that there's a lot of folks in the community that have helped champion those kind of ideas. But there's also this, uh, the, you know, let, let, let's call that the analog um, being unit testing, right? We write unit tests in software to test very particular functions uh, within our within our software, and and we're sort of doing some of those things with with network automation. You know, unit tests are never designed to test how a system interacts with another system, or maybe how a system interacts with its own components. And I think that's one of the things that I wanted to do with Todd is is build maybe an analog being integration tests uh, for for network infrastructure, right? So you're making network changes, you're running simple linting tools on maybe the YAML files that you use and the Jinja 2 templates that you write, but you're not necessarily testing how the system interacts with itself. And uh, with Todd, I think, you know, that that's a little more of a little more of a focus there. So Jinja is a templating language for Python, which we use to display HTML on a page, correct? Uh, it, it actually has traditionally been used for that. Uh, Jinja mm. 2 was is very, very closely, uh, it looks a lot like the Django templating engine, which is written in Python. But actually, we can uh, we can use it for anything, any 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 text whatsoever we can use. And that's why I think it's had a lot of uptake uh, in the network automation community for network configs. So we can actually start to match CLIs if that's something that you wanted to do. So people are using Jinja for um, CLI syntax analysis to make sure it's matching some expected output or input. 
Well, I, I think, you know, one of the things I've been using Jinja for is um, to be able to break out the values. If you look at like a, a, a specific network configuration, things like IP addresses, VLANs, these are all kind of generic and it doesn't matter what vendor you're on. Mm. Um, where things really start to change up is the syntax. So with Jinja, you're able to create a template with variables in it for a um, an HPE Comware or Cisco IOS or Juniper and split out the actual, the variables, what you want to fill in that mm -hmm. into uh, a, a total separate YAML file. And YAML is just a, a data serialization it's a, a way to, to capture the what you want to configure. And then the ginger becomes the how you want it, the specific syntax stuff. So when you actually break it out separately like that, it becomes that I can have one YAML file, which will, from that one file, generate a consistent configuration, which is syntactically valid on iOS, on Comware, and on Juniper, you know, Brocade, name your vendor, uh, mm -hmm. just by the action of choosing the appropriate template. Okay, so that's what ginger is. And then there's one other term in there which I think we need to explain, which is linting. Yeah, so so this is a, this is a, a generic tool for just about any type of text, uh, especially in, in, when you're writing software, you know, source code. Linting uh, is the idea of, like, I, I have a linting tool for Python uh, that runs uh, checks on it that makes sure that that code conforms to the standard for Python style called PEP8. And that's just one example uh, with Python. There's several other types of linting tools, uh, and certainly there's definitely linting tools for other uh, languages. What we can use linting tools for in the world of network automation is doing things like, you know, is my YAML file written syntactically correct? Like, is this actually going to work when I try to import it? Mm -hmm. uh, same thing with with Jinja too. I'm, you know, I, I'm essentially going to try to run this template and, and render this template. And if there are any errors, that will that will manifest itself there. So that's basically a bit of programmer speak. I just wanted to uncover those. So what we have sure. now is that the thing about TODD or what do you call it, Todd? Yeah, just Todd. Just Todd. Okay. So the thing I like about Todd on the face of it is it's got this architecture which actually matches the way a network works. And what I mean about that is that you've got this idea of distributed agents. So you've built the architecture in such a way that there's a Todd server, but there's agents that just go all around the network. Yeah, that's exactly right. And the server, you know, the server, the, the, there is there is that centralized piece that sort of um, feels feels like the the the, uh, the. I guess I wouldn't blame anybody for assuming that that, uh, that that server is where the tests originate, or maybe that where they where they end. But the server actually doesn't take part in any tests whatsoever. It's all between agents. Right. So I could have an agent at branch A, at an agent at branch B, at head office one and head office two, and I could be testing branch to branch as well as. Um, branch to head office one and branch to head office two. Yeah, exactly right. Hmm. I just, I just a lot of times I've seen uh, network, so-called network monitoring or network management tools, everything comes to the server. So if you're thinking about it in terms of SNMP, you know, the network management server reaches out and pulls some data back and it pulls it back. But that's not how this works. You have an agent out somewhere in the network and it runs according to the, day, the script that the Todd server sends to it. Yeah, yeah, more or less. Basically, the, you can think of the server as essentially an orchestration engine, right? You spin up as many agents as you feel you need, mm -hmm. and you could have more than one agent in a certain in a single location. Mm -hmm. uh, you could have you could have just one. It really just depends on what you want. All all testing is done between agents, and they're actually performed uh, between groups of agents. That's how you define a test. So I was going to say, so so one of the, and I think you hit a, a really important point is traditional network management. We've always done a hub and spoke. We've always done NMS sitting in a data center somewhere, and we pull out to site A and we pull out to site B and then we infer that the distance, the latency, the, you know, whatever that happens to be, the metric we're using from site A to site B is simply A plus B. 
and the days of of hub and spoke networks are gone. They're long gone. Mm. So yeah, Todd Todd is really amazing um, in that it allows for uh, us to deploy agents out and have them, as as Matt said, centrally orchestrated. But you're able to measure things actually from where your users. How crazy would this be? Measure where your users actually sit. So you could run this on a user's computer or in a router, or is it at a separate device that goes on the LAN? Well, so I will say you can run it wherever you want. But if I were to if I were to make recommendations, my my ideal place for running a Todd agent would be somewhere uh, closely attached to the network. So if you wanted to, for instance, compile a Todd agent and run it on a Raspberry Pi and just simply plug that into your top of rack switch, that's certainly something you can do. Some of my testing, especially during development, has been done inside of Kubernetes. So uh, I've done scale out testing with Todd where I take the Docker container that Todd runs in and I instruct Kubernetes to scale it out to, oh, I don't know, 20 instances. Mm-hmm. And that's a really nice scale-out model, for instance, in the data center. Obviously, that's a pretty data center-specific deployment mechanism. But my point is that that because it's just a compiled binary, you, in theory, could put it wherever you want. So I was um, reading Brett Salisbury's Twitter feed the other day, and he was running Docker containers inside of iOS XR devices. That's just another place where it could run in a container as much as a VM, as much as a bare metal thing, anywhere that you can get this compiled binary to go. That's exactly right. I actually have a Docker Hub uh, repository. I think it's called a repository. I'm in GitHub land right now. But yeah, so if you want to go to Mirrodin slash Todd, then that's where that's uh, that's where that's stored. I've I've compiled it for Linux. So it could be anywhere. Anywhere you could run a container or a bare metal or a VM. Um, You know, as you say, Raspberry Pi doesn't need to have enormous amounts of compute power to do simple testing, I guess, like pings and stuff. Correct. Yeah. In fact, I've done I've done some uh, some monitoring while running tests, and it's it's minimal. There's really not much of a footprint when you're talking about the agent. So let's jump back a little bit to um, how this fits into automation. So w- what we're saying here is that this testing system, Todd, runs when when I configure it, when you configure it. Does it run all the time, some of the time, or is it flexible? Initially, Todd runs when you instruct it to. Um, currently, any any sort of timing, schedule-related things, that's not something that's done inside of Todd. Um, however, that really wouldn't be that difficult to to add if, if the need arose. The way that I have envisioned Todd running is uh, there's a few different use cases. First off, the network the network engineer centric use case. I, I wanted to make sure that that was captured because obviously I want this to be useful for that uh, for that use case as well. You can certainly say you know the Todd comes with a with a CLI client that you can load up on your laptop, and it sort of just it, it's a it's essentially a wrapper for the REST API on top of the Todd server. So you could very easily run this on your laptop and say you know what I just want to run a very ad hoc test right now, and I want to see the metrics like now. I want you to run the test and just tell me how it worked like now. Mm. And that's certainly something that you can do. Um, so that's sort of ad hoc testing. But then there's also a few other use cases. And, and I, like to, I like to talk about, you know, this continuous integration pipeline for networking, you know, for whatever that's worth. You could, in theory, run this, you know, on a periodic schedule, right? You could say maybe set up a cron tab to run this every 30 seconds or so and capture those metrics in a time series database, as I demonstrated in my, uh, in my blog post, mm. where the metrics are actually placed into a TSDB. I, I used InfluxDB, but it could be, in theory, any, any type of TSDB. Mm. And then you can graph those metrics. You can say, hey, how is my latency to this you know, set of targets? How has that performed over time? Uh, oh, and it looks like the latency went up significantly uh, after our 3 a.m. change window. Hmm, that's, hmm. that's interesting. I might want to look into that. In that sense, you're starting to echo the existing tools that we have today that do poll. So what a lot of people do today is ping a router and use that as a measure of network performance. It's a pretty blunt tool, but there you go. That's, how we, that's what we do today. 
Yeah, so I would say I would say that's definitely a, a possibility, but there's a few things within Todd that makes that I think a little different. First off, um, the ability to make that same test from all points on your network, being able to say, you know, I want to define this same test, but I want to replicate it from just about any point on my network where I have agents deployed. The other concept here is uh, uh, one of the things that I wanted to do in Todd is make sure that this was highly extensible, and that's I, I put that as like my first description of Todd. So it's pretty important to me. I don't want to lock anybody into any particular type of test or any particular test application. Mm -hmm. Now, naturally, there's probably going to be a, a subset that are really, really popular, and as a result, I've written those uh, into Todd. But I've written um, what I've done is I've constructed a mechanism called testlets that make it really, really easy for somebody to maybe define their own test. So let's say you know an enterprise has their own tooling that. Uh, tests their web applications and does does things that you know like simple ping tests. Those are great, but but when you're talking about HTTP testing, sometimes you want to get down into the weeds and maybe perform transactions. Those kind of things are are, are tools that that uh, that enterprises may already have. They just don't have a, a mechanism that that makes it easy to distribute that around around their network. That's where Todd really makes it valuable. So, Greg, one one way to think about this is if you remember um, IPSLA Service Assurance Agents mm -hmm. back in the day, this oh, is yeah. that. Okay. But this is that done in a totally open source, extensible way where we're not dependent on on the, uh, I'll use the nasty term, the vendor mm -hmm. to extend it any way that we want to. Right? Well, you know, doing that, for the vendors, that was always very hard because an infinite number of tests means an infinite cycle of product development. Having it outside of the networking asset, so not in the operating system, abstracted away, means that we can change these tests ourselves. So I think... Matt, tell me if I'm wrong here because I'm trying to imagine some things. You know, obviously the first phase of a test is a connectivity test and a ping would be great. If you wanted to be able to detect if a path is flapping for some reason, you could start to do trace routes. Um, provided you've got ICMP echo replies enabled in your network, you'd be able to get a, a vision of how the network path is changing over time. Then you might want to start running HTTP requests across the network to start making sure that the HTTP is actually getting through the firewall. So, for example, quite often there's a firewall somewhere and you can't get ping through or some other connection, but you can get HTTP through and then you could start to create uh, an agent, sorry, a test run, which is pulling HTTP through a firewall. And then you could say to yourself, actually, I want to see the performance of that over time. And then you could put that into, the, as you say, the influx in the Grafana software. And then, obviously, after that, you can start to get more complicated, start to build up a, oh, I'm going to a web page. Now what I want to do is download an image. Now I want to log in, and now I want to log in, log out. I want to do all these different things to validate the entire experience. This is a process of building a testing strategy. Is that sort of, am I on the right track? Yeah, you are. In fact, um, that's that's actually a really good point to bring up because none of that is anything that Todd wants to have an opinion about. Like I said, there's probably about 90% of the use cases that are pretty simple, simple ping tests. I also have a testlet written for running iPerf in a, in a fully distributed fashion. That was one of the really cool things that people said about about my presentation that, that really hit them. Um, so I, I, you know, I tried to I tried to capture as many use cases as possible. But the cool thing about this flexibility and these this this concept of writing testlets is you can take your existing tooling for running these transactions let's as you know as you pointed out we might have more more granular tests that we want to run. We want to actually log into a web page and perform maybe mm. a, 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 an e-commerce transaction, right? Um, that's what our customers are doing. So we absolutely should try to match that. And I said in my presentation, you know, our customers aren't pinging us. You know, they're using our shopping carts. They're using yeah. they're using our, our platform. Yes. So 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 yeah. you know, it, pings are great, but like, come on, what are we actually trying to do here? I can't capture that. I can't write that test on behalf of all of the people that will want to use Todd. Mm. So as the as the creator of Todd, I wanted to write a, a create a mechanism 
mechanism that it makes that it makes it really really easy for them to do that in their own little we'll call it a script because that's really what it is they're essentially writing a script that does whatever they want it to do and i take it and i distribute it around their network and run it at scale so the way that I kind of think about this and how I would be using this is and, and a combination of these unit tests that we talked about before and then this, this functional test or integration testing. So you would have something like I want to make I want to add an OSPF statement to my router, for instance, and then I could actually go out and I could maybe log in, run a show command and say, hey, it, did a neighbor, did a peer come up? Hmm. Right. But, but I'm, I'm, I'm kind of looking at it from a very network centric standpoint and I'm saying, you know, did things work? Yeah. Well, but how does that affect the behavior? of what my users are experiencing. How does that affect the, the network as a system? Right? We're kind of limited by our ability, even though the network is the original distributed system, mm. we still look at and manage things as these hop-by-hop basises. And so we're really good at being kind of jumping, jumping around from perspective to perspective. But this allows us to, to jump from the, the local individual perspective to go to, okay, show me iPerf full mesh throughout all of my branches right now and tell me, you know, is, did my change, for whatever reason, did that... Um, did it, did it shift, this new OSPF peer shift all my traffic through a frame relay link or a T1 link that I have running in some office? Like some hmm. bizarre, we don't know what happened, but suddenly my users are all screaming and I don't know why. Yeah, I, I'm partly imagining a few things. One of the things I'm imagining is like a software-defined WAN. And let's say you move to being on the internet and you actually, you don't know what your actual bandwidth is that's underlying your system. And really you need to have some active probing going on to give yourself a level of confidence that your systems are working the way you want. As I was reading this project, I could imagine running these types of agents on my SD-WAN appliance, that might be a bit of a dream, but hey, or in some way, like a a low-cost way, like a Raspberry Pi in a box can be, you know, bought for less than $50 a site. And then it could be just constantly making low-bandwidth probes you know, between branches, between things. And keep in mind, in a software-defined WAN, you've got not just a single topology, but a multi-topology network. You can actually have traffic following a, you know, hub-spoke topology to the data center, but it could also be a broadcast, like uh, inside of a region, you might have a full mesh, say, inside of the south of uh, Southern American region. You might want everybody to be able to access each other, but not in the Northern America, so you have multiple topologies for security segmentation. Maybe you want to do some voice. Now, voice needs to be a peer-to-peer, so you have to have any to anys for the SIP calls to be able to be established, so you might have a different set of testing going on to test SIP. And I could imagine I can have over time, anyway, people would start to be able to contribute test runs that do ping tests, HTTP, SIP tests, things like that. We'd be able to use standard Linux tools to start doing SIP connectivity tests and QOS tests around that type of stuff as well. Or what about just testing the underlay and the overlay in the same environment? Yeah, you certainly could. You could do have a bunch of tests, some that run in the overlay and some that run in the underlay to give you a, a metric between the two and help determine which one might not be performing as well. But because it's not part of the vendor solution, it's external to it, you start to get an independent perspective of the the network performance. Yeah, and I think that's really important to to do. I mean, like you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take the stance here and say that the existing tooling is 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 nothing. I mean, we we've got a lot of really good tooling out there today, but I think I think it is important that this that this you know we we think of things uh, other than other than what is it that I you know I'm trying to push config to a switch like that's the first step of many in my perspective, right? And you know we we in, in the network automation conversation we tend to sort of focus on that a uh, little little bit of a uh, little bit of tunnel vision on on making these changes. 
and and the verification is is just as if not more important and and i think it's really cool to think about you know this outside perspective because that same outside perspective is where your customers are at and so i think it's important to remember so for me it's like configuring the wan or configuring the data center the first thing you want to do is after you've typed in the commands let's assume you're not using an automation system is is everything still working and all you can do is look to your management console and wait for the 5 minute interval <laughs> See, green, everything green, stays green. green is good. Yeah, green is good. It would be much right. more practical to be able to just, you know, send a command to these agents telling them to run the tests, and have a list of errors back in seconds instead. I think. Right, for sure, for sure, and I and I think this is one of the cool things, um, or or I, I don't know about cool, but like this is like this 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 uh, this this observation that I've had about you know making changes at three a.m. and like that's great that we that we do that. You know, we want to we want to make sure that if we make a change that uh, we we don't bring the network down while all the users in. But but guess what? Guess what? You can't do at three a.m. Your users aren't in, so you can't test how your network's actually going to perform under load. You know, you make these changes, and you're saying, oh yeah, you know, I totally want to wait until eight a.m. to figure out if the line card has a bug in it. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Well, or and that worse, also is, you want to find out, you know, when the applications start failing and people are on the phone saying something's not working. And it also right. assumes your business is eight to five. That's right. also true. There. Three a.m. <laughs> There's a lot of a lot of places that don't have three a.m. windows anymore. So we need to be able to, you know, I, I think Todd doesn't replace traditional tooling. That that five minute polling interval that's still going to be critical. But to be able to have, you know, as part of a continuous integration flow, I make a change. And the change kicks off a whole series of tests. Yes. Right. That that's where things become interesting. Is I can get that automatic feedback to say, you know, I have maybe maybe you have a five minute window to roll back your changes. Maybe that's all you've got because the business is is busy hemorrhaging cash during that five minutes, and they don't like that. Businesses do not like to hemorrhage money. <laughs> so Matt, did you? I mean, I could imagine that if I was writing Python code to manually configure my network, I would have this sense of that I'm operating without a safety net. Did you really build this because of that or did you see it as part of you built it because you wanted to automate the testing so you didn't have to do it? Uh, I, I would say probably a mixture of both. I mean, like, you know, I, as I mentioned at the beginning, I've gotten a lot more into, uh, we'll call it pure uh, software development. And pure for me just means I'm doing it all the time and, you know, not 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 seeing the sunlight as much. Um, but but in, in essence, in essence, you know, this this experience has taught me that that testing is almost as important or it's it's as important or maybe even more important than actually writing the code, because it actually does a few things that we that, that I didn't expect. You know, the, t- the t- writing tests, let's just say for, you know, in a software development shop, when you're writing unit tests and integration tests, what are you really doing? Are you testing your software? Yes, absolutely you are. But think about it in a different way. You're actually writing, what you're doing is you're writing code that consumes your software in the same way that your customers or maybe another system will do. You're actually, what you're doing is you're documenting use cases in the form of source code in that particular case. And I was thinking, like, you know, in, you know, we're, we're doing all these network automation changes. We're using Ansible. We're using YAML. We're using Jinja 2. That's fantastic. I definitely think that that's a step in the right direction because mm. it's better than what we had before for sure. Mm. But mm. what we're doing, in, in essence, even – okay, so let's, let's, let's say before all of the network automation stuff. Let's, let's create an analog here. What, we're, what we've been doing in networking for so long is, is something like if you had, I don't know, an e, a big e-commerce business and the software developers were just simply changing the, the front-end code, the HTML, the CSS, the JavaScript, live. No version control, no, you know, no testing, no, no, no nothing. They're just taking the files that are on their laptop and they're pushing it into production immediately. That's essentially what we're doing in networking. We're, we're relying on our uh, uh, admittedly very valid expertise. We're, you know, a lot of smart people in the industry. This yeah. isn't about you know, the experience that you have. This is about human fallacy. We're going, to make issue, we're going to make errors. And so it's better to have these things documented and testable 
in a in a streamlined fashion that's enforced instead of uh, relying on us to do it manually because we just won't. One of the things that, that that came to me is this automation, all these powers that we have right now, is we have the ability to screw things up a lot faster, a lot quicker, and a lot more efficiently. Right? Yeah, that, that's exactly right. That's what scares me about automation. Todd helps me to deal with that fear. We have these four four key concepts. Let's just let's just do a read back on where we are, right? We have four key concepts. We have agents, which runs the tests. We have groups of agents, so I can configure Todd to say group one. And in there, there might be 10, 20, 30 agents that will then go off and run the tests that you want. And you have test runs, which defines tests. And then you have test lets, which are, what, test definitions? Yeah, so so let me I'll, I'll go back to groups and just sort of start from there, I guess. Sure. So basically, what, what you've done is what, what I've done is I've, I've allowed um, the user to upload a, a simple YAML file that describes what properties of agents qualify them to be in what groups. And so, for instance, you could say, hey, you know, I, anytime you see an agent pop up that's in this IP subnet, I want you to add it to the group data center. Hmm. Um, maybe you use a different IP subnet in, and it's in a group headquarters, for instance. Uh, you could also use a regular expression for the host name, right? If you maybe have uh, want to get more granular, maybe you have a bunch of agents in this one subnet and maybe you didn't have a, a big continuous IP space to really target, you can get a little more detailed with the host name. So that's, that's grouping. And it's important to remember grouping because all tests are run between groups, right? You don't want to pick out one agent, um, although you can have one agent in a group. Certainly you could do that. But the idea here is that you want to sort of stand above that and, and use these grouping mechanisms to sort of des- describe your infrastructure instead of referring to these discrete agents. Mm. Then uh, test runs, th- these are, uh, this is another type of YAML file inside of, of Todd. This particular file describes the actual test itself. What is it that I am sourcing this test from and what am I targeting? And then what application am I using in the test, right? This could be something like a ping, this could be iperf, whatever. Uh, finally, testlets. That is the mechanism that I was speaking about earlier that allows uh, that, that allows users to have a lot of flexibility in describing it or in running their tests. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned, I've written a few just on this first version of Todd one one for ping and one for iperf. But there uh, there's there's a, there's a mechanism that you can use to really write your own um, very easily. They're essentially uh, and I'll just sort of spoil the beans here. The two that I've written thus far are actually just Bash scripts. And so, in essence, if you can write something that that is executable and it outputs uh, test metrics to standard out in the form of a JSON document, then you can then you've written a testlet. That's really all it takes. And that's not hard. That's not rocket no, science. It's not. Anybody can pick that up pretty quickly. Um, yeah. Using their other knowledge of other things, you know, like whether that's a Python script or you know Perl script or you know Go, whatever your favorite language is, you can knock yourself out with that. Mm-hmm. So it's really quite open, and then people can contribute to that on GitHub. Now, there's no license with this. It's Apache 2 open source. Yeah, the, the license is Apache v2. That's what, uh, that's what I open sourced it under. Mm. So anybody can use it, take it away, run with it, contrib- and preferably contribute back. Yeah, preferably, preferably contribute back. That's the whole goal. You know, this is, you know I, I do have a day job as a software developer. This effort isn't associated with that. So you know, if, if somebody wants to just sort of collaborate with me as a person, then I'm obviously very welcome to that. So let's talk a little bit more about the post-test analytics before we talk about where you want to go from here. You, you said you're using InfluxDB and Grafana. Just explain that part of it to me again. There's a, there's a database that backs Todd to, to handle state. And anybody that's really familiar with software at a high level will understand the role of a database in just about any application, right? It's, mm. it's designed to record state. It's, it's designed to hold state for an application. Let's say, you know, take the WordPress example, right? We have a database that sits on the back end that stores things like our blog posts and our comments. And that's great. There's certainly a database that backs Todd. 
Um, and for the for this particular version, I'm actually using etcd. Now, a tsdb is different. A tsdb is designed to index based on timestamp. So it specializes uh, uh, in storing sort of similar data sets over the course of time. Hmm. And the database that I've selected for this initial version is InfluxDB. Now, anytime I talk about a third-party integration like InfluxDB or etcd or whatever it is, I've written all of these integrations in a way that can also be extended. Not necessarily as simply as testlets. You sort of have to understand how to write Go in order to do that. But I haven't written these. I haven't written Todd to be married to any of these databases, just to keep that in mind. So if somebody now, wants to go and use Postgres or whatever, they could adapt to the code. They would need to adapt the code, but... It's intended to be adapted for other other database stores. Yeah, well, my yeah, my point is that like InfluxDB is not woven into the very fabric of Todd, is what I'm saying. Yes. Yeah, so InfluxDB is actually a really cool TSDB. It's very, it's very, um, it, it, I would say it's very popular, at least from what I've seen. Any anytime you Google TSDB, especially if you if you search Go, um, you're going to see InfluxDB. It's a bit like for PHP, everybody uses MySQL. If you're in Go doing time series databases, you, people are using InfluxDB. It's just the default choice. Yeah, it's a, it's a very popular choice, and it's and like I said, it, anytime you Google any of those any of those keywords, you're you're just going to stumble upon it. So your Go scripts are out there fetching the data that comes in from the agent runs uh, for, and when the test runs kick off when the agents do that data and then you store it in InfluxDB, which is a time series database. So the responses that come back, you know, the ping response times or the, the iperf runs, that all gets stored in an InfluxDB. So then you need to display it to somebody. Yeah, that's exactly right, and that's where Grafana comes in. Again, um, Grafana is not required for this. Grafana just specializes at, at visualizing data in existing databases, InfluxDB just being one of them. Hmm. And so it just produces pretty graphs. So those of us who are familiar with RRD tool, conceptually we could look at Grafana as similar but fancier. Sure, it's, and, and it's pretty. And, <laughs> it is it is quite pretty. What the, the example that I have on the blog post and that I gave in my demo um, last Monday was uh, specifically showing – the, the ping test, right? Just a simple ping test from our from my data center and from my headquarters to both 8888 and 4222. Those are the probably the most the two most popular IP addresses in existence, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I was pinging those two over time, and I did that from multiple sources, and I was able to graph all of this in one graph, and it uses different colors to sort of distinguish between the two. Mm-hmm. Now, it, you know, just without seeing it, you might not be able to get it. So let me just say the value of this really comes into play when you're being able to run the exact same test. Like these same these same metrics, these tests. Remember, I, I defined test runs earlier that define what kind of test am I running from where to where and using what application. All of that stuff is baked into that test run definition. And so all I have to do is run that multiple times, and I get this different, this awesome, unique perspective around my network for the same application against the same targets. Mm-hmm. And so just by looking at the graph, I can see you know maybe maybe the latency spikes for all of my targets all at once. Well, that's probably an internet connectivity issue, um, at least you know, spread out uh, e- either at the target or maybe for all of my sites. I don't know, depending on where the sites are. Um, it probably is a target issue. Or maybe, for instance, if only one of my sites has a latency spike or maybe I'm running iPerf and it has a severe reduction in bandwidth, that problem is probably limited to just that site because the other sites seem to be operating just fine. That's the kind of really cool instant, you know, instant uh, visualization that you can get by, vi- by, by graphing this stuff out with Grafana. So where do you go from here, Matt? You've you've produced this first pass. I imagine it's um, you know it's working. You've you've demonstrated it. it was only a week ago. What's the pipeline for development? Have you got more more coming? 
I do. Uh, well, so um, I did have to sprint quite quite quickly to get uh, a, a working. I'm a I'm a strong believer uh, in minimum viable product, so I definitely wanted to get that out. So now I got to go back and sort of pay back some of my technical debt, uh, <laughs> as as I think a lot of the a lot of the folks on the on the on the mailing list have have noticed. So I'm really happy that that's getting focused on now. Uh, certainly happy to have this be being done in the public as well. Hmm. So that's that's a lot of what's on my on my fo- on my uh, on my roadmap for the short term. For the long term, um, I actually was happy to talk to several folks at the uh, the DevOps networking forum where I where I open sourced this, and uh, there were a lot of vendors there that were very interested in getting this running either on their platform, so maybe a Todd agent literally on a network switch itself, mm-hmm. or at the very least, very close to a network switch. And I'm very excited about that. So vendors are actually joining in. The the open source teams inside inside of those vendors are doing are participating. Yeah, well, threatening to participate. Yeah, there you go. Threatening to participate. It has been only a week, so I'm hoping there will be more. But yeah, there was definitely a lot of interest. Uh, I would say probably five unique vendors just at that meeting alone. Okay, and other things. Yeah, the, uh, I, I'd also like to sort of spend a lot more time defining um, where Todd fits in maybe the rest of what I referred to earlier as a continuous integration pipeline for networking. Mm-hmm. I still very strongly believe in this concept. At the very least, even if it's not a formal technology kind of thing, I, I still strongly believe in the concepts behind it. We, we need to get better at not just testing our changes, but actually running our changes in a way where there's just no option but to test it, right? You know, software developers don't push code into production directly. They push it to a a code review system, and then that system gets automated tests taken upon it. And if those tests fail, there actually is no code review because there's no point in reviewing code that fails those basic tests. And we need to get better at that, I think, as as a network industry, just sort of Making sure that our changes aren't just oh well, you know you know Steve over in the corner I think he's running Ansible on his laptop but I'm going to go ahead and SSH into the into the switch that he's controlling and make my own <laughs> manual changes like that that's happening all the time and we just need to get better at that it's a much more of a cultural problem than it is a technology problem. Yes, I think I, I've been writing a blog post lately which is sort of talking about the CLI and why we need to move past it and it's exactly this reason to, in the sense that back in the 1910s if you bought a motor car. Everybody was a mechanic. You couldn't drive a, T, a Model T Ford if you weren't a mechanic, right? You had to know how to change a tyre. You had to know how to fix the engine. You had to know how to put fuel into it. And you drove around literally with a toolbox on the back of the car so that you could fix everything about the car. But you know what? In 2010, we don't do that. No, mechanics don't drive cars. Anybody can drive a car. The only time you need a mechanic is every 10,000 miles when you take it in for a service or when it actually breaks down. And the CLI promotes this idea of... You know, everybody who operates the network should be a mechanic. And I think the more we get into automation, the more we get into somebody can click the button on an automation and drive the network. And the only time you need to get the CLI out, you know, the, the toolbox out, is when something's come unstuck, the, the automation's broken down or there's a failed system in the network. I think this is a step in that direction. You know, if a day-to-day operator makes a change in the network and as part of that day-to-day change they run something like Todd, and if everything's working fine, then I'm in the back office having coffee, hiding away from meetings, not you know, working on and boosting my testing strategy or evaluating the next big thing in the networking architecture. That's sort of the vision that I'm getting. So I, I think the culture part is definitely part of it, and I agree on your comments of the CLI 100%. Mm. But I think there's also the technology part where – looking at from a traditional software development, you can spin up entire test dev environments and run all your tests against it. It's not a problem. We haven't been able to spin up 
you know, a, a simulated network environment up until I, I would say probably the last couple of years where, you know, platforms like GNS3 have actually been become viable enough and stable enough and powerful enough. And, and some of the other, you know, every vendor now is starting to have a virtualization platform of some kind where we can actually run this stuff in that kind of in-between stage so we can get that additional warm, fuzzy feeling before we push to production. So I think there's a combination of all these things coming together at the right time that this, this really is the time for a tool like Todd to come into. That's a really interesting point. You could use GNS, a tool like GNS3, which is all software, to literally build a network in an automated way because GNS3 allows you to do automation, automated build-outs and then start running Todd agents all, all inside of Linux somewhere and start running tests like connectivity tests, injecting root tests, all sorts of stuff. There's no reason why we couldn't have a, an agent that actually injects roots into routing protocols and things like that. It's just time and creativity and... You know, someone motivated to do it, and and that's that's kind of I'm I am hugely excited about you know this project in particular, but where we are as an industry right now, because this this stuff is finally getting real. As we get closer to the end, I think we've just about hit everything that we wanted to say. Like Todd, to me, is a fairly straightforward, and in a sense, it's obvious, but it this is really exciting to me because this idea of having distributed agents around the network that I can create using any anything. Uh, you know, a Pi or a VM or a Docker container, you know, and I can put Docker containers in weird places, as I said, on on switches in, in operating systems and stuff. What else? Is there anything else that we need to cover today? Yeah, I mean, like, if, if you think about just, like, I, I try to keep everything as generic as possible, right? I'm a big believer in the Unix philosophy. I want to build something that can be put into a pipeline of, of a bunch of other tools. And uh, one thing, this is probably more distant future than everything else I've talked about, but one thing I, I would love to see done with Todd and maybe do some of myself is use these metrics that are printed, um, you know, to the screen or, or wherever they, they, they come from to, to analyze these, uh, in, and we'll call it, I don't know, refer to machine learning, for instance. You could use machine learning to identify what normal is in 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 uh, in a day-to-day operation let's say you know everything's up everything's handy uh, dandy fine and dandy what what is a normal operating network look like to us and and that's different for every network right we we have different companies with different business objectives different uh, times of day where they do business as as chris mentioned sometime some businesses are 9 to 5 sometimes uh, you know you have a 24 hour business and like and every every network has different uh, baselines uh, with respect to the metrics that todd is going to gather so i would love to see some of that uh, some of them um, some of the uh, that automated learning that 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 learning technology look at these metrics and identify what normal is to us todd sort of is good at getting that data out of the network. Mm-hmm. I would love to see sort of an augmentation of that community analyzing that data and being able to tell me like what normal is and then maybe provide some sort of a, 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 an assertion there like this is actually a huge latency spike but that's pretty normal because of some sort of extraneous circumstance, maybe backups, things, things of that nature. I would love to see that done with Todd in the future. So what you're saying there is um, if I had a circuit and it was running a ping that was stabilized 200 milliseconds and then all of a sudden it spiked to 400 milliseconds, you might want to start correlating other data sources. You might want to gather metadata like bandwidth was up to 80% or um, you know, there was a circuit outage and there was a failover or whatever and get into some genuine intelligence about if there's a failover, ping spikes would be normal. Yeah, I mean, like, let's just take the the usual case. You know, in a traditional enterprise, we do backups either nightly or weekly, right? And that's a pretty expected event. If you're just looking at network statistics, let's say you come in and on your first day, you know, you're you're you're, you're you've you've been hired and they put you on the graveyard shift because they're not very nice people. You know, they 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 tell you like, hey, you know, just check the latency, just make sure things are, are good. You have no context and, and no ability to really have that that historical knowledge. And you see this problem on the network, and you're instantly going to say, this is bad. This is bad behavior. Mm-hmm. When in reality, it's 
absolutely expected, and it is normal. Now, that's, yes. a, of course, a very simplistic um, example, but you can imagine that, that things get a lot more complicated, especially in retail environments, big holidays, things like that. Yes. They experience huge surges of, of you know, bandwidth utilization, higher latency, that kind of thing, just because that's, that's, the, that's when their business is, is booming. So we need to, I think, really, uh, we could definitely see, see some post-test analytics with the metrics that I provided. Again, I try to make it as generic as possible. I don't mm-hmm. make you work very hard to get at these metrics. I provide it in an open way. I, I really would love to see that kind of usage. So hopefully other people can join in. Have you got any final thoughts, Chris? So, so yeah, I, th- I think that um, you know, as Matt hit, I think personally, I think machine learning. Um, I've been doing a lot of of, of uh, what I would call amateur research in this area. I'm still trying to build up math skills, but I think that's that's where we're going to start to unlock a lot of this stuff, you know, and and um, start to be able to have the machines tell us what formerly only a human being could by bringing in these um, probabilistic guesses really is what it comes down to around what this may be you know and, and i've seen that i've seen the look at that you know the packets are spewing left right and center they're just you know dying on the floor and the guy looks at me and he goes that's normal it's because that's a 2 a.m it was exactly 2 a.m backup and that's yes. just the way this things is something were that happens their, their every network. month it's a known time it happens on the 29th of every month or something to do it i would have been drop, you know whatever it is I would have been troubleshooting that for hours trying to figure out what what was getting to the bottom of a problem that was absolutely in their environment normal Projects like this, projects like um, some of the stuff that uh, Jason Edelman's doing with um, NTC Ansible um, and really bringing in, being able to to take out traditional CLI syntax and turn that into a, a mungible, well, you know, well-defined data structure mm-hmm. so we can actually start accessing it programmatically. There's um, a guy, Patrick, I forget his last name, Network Lore. He's been doing some really interesting work. It's, it is amazing to see the community starting to really come up and, and get skills together to bring this, the, Todd is is an integral part, but it's only a piece of the pipeline, as Matt said. Yeah. So it's really amazing to me to see that we're starting to have other people working on different components of this overall problem statement, and it feels like we're we're actually going to have something as a community together in in the not too distant future. Okay, Pretty so amazing. you'll be able to use like an open sourced, community driven tool to actually configure your devices, as you say, with standardized models and standardized language, like. You- as we talked about with templates, and then have a standardized testing suite to be able to say, made a change, did it actually work? And and we'll be able to go home at 5 o'clock and not live in fear of the pager going off. (laughs) And That's the part that I'm really looking forward to. That's the part I just absolutely live for. Well, thank you very much, guys, for joining me today to talk about Todd. Uh, Matt, where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, the best place to reach me is Twitter. That's uh, username Mirdin, M-I-E-R-D-I-N. Uh, you can also see me on my blog, keepingitclassless.net. And if you're interested in Todd, the GitHub page is github.com forward slash Mirdin, same spelling, M-I-E-R-D-I-N, forward slash Todd, T-O-D-D. You seem to have an infinite amount of uh, energy at the moment, Matt, because you're also writing a book. Oh, goodness. Uh, I, I certainly can't claim uh, sole ownership of that. Uh, I, I definitely have some fantastic help by uh, folks that I look up to in the community, Jason Edelman and Scott Lowe. So the three of us are writing a book, absolutely, Network Programmability and Automation. A lot of these same concepts will be talked about in that book, as well as a a bunch of other really, really interesting topics Mm -hmm. like networking in Linux, writing Python. All of this was in a network automation context, so I definitely recommend you check it out. It's in early access O'Reilly right now, and it'll be released sometime later this year, probably around May, I think, is when we have the deadline. It says July 15th. For the public okay, then it's date. July. <laughs> and, 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 Maybe your as, deadline is May, <laughs> knowing how books work. As, yeah. as an early reviewer, I can tell you the fact that someone chose three very prolific bloggers to write a technical book was a good choice. 
Hang it's on. actually readable. It's I've readable. been skimming through the outline and it looks pretty sound to me. I'm quite excited to have a bit of a closer look at this. Thanks very much for joining us on the show today, Matt. I really appreciate it. And Chris, where can people find you on the internet? I will be at Netman Chris on Twitter and um, hopefully blogging more in the near future on controlissues.net with a K, all one word. And uh, I am, I guess the next public appearance, if uh, I can call it such, will be uh, probably in, in the audience watching Mr. Oswald, who did not talk about his upcoming interop presentations. So uh, definitely going to be at Interop in May, uh, checking out all the wonderful, amazing stuff that's coming out at that point in time, including a uh, whatever Matt gets done between now and then on Todd. <laughs> and I also will be at Interop. Uh, the Packet Pushers is, of course, running the Future of Networking Summit there. So do please, um, if you are coming to Interop, maybe you want to sign up and pay for the extra two days and come and listen to the Packet Pushers talk about the future of networking. And this topic is exactly one of those things we're, we're trying to highlight you may not want it today, but in a year or two, you probably will. And that's what we call it the future of networking. Thanks for listening to Packet Pushers today. You can find this and many more fine free technical podcasts along with our community blog at packetpushers.net. Follow us on Twitter as at Packet Pushers. Find us on LinkedIn, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. It really would help if you could tell people about us. Uh, we would need to get a little bit bigger and help stabilise the business that we're running here. I'm Greg Farrow. You can find me on my blog at etherealmind.com and on the Twitter is at etherealmind. And last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough. <laughs>